Got declaration of faith going to be in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verses number 1. Uh, not necessarily a foundational text, but there's just a couple of uh, nuggets I want to extrapolate out of this, this particular text. Um, 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verses number 1. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verses number 1. Again, this is not a foundational text. I just want to use this as a springboard into what it is that God has for us on today. The Bible declares, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept with her. Then she went back home. Five declares the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Six declares. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah, the Hittite. Tell that boy to come home now. David, uh, thinking is, if I can get Joab, excuse me, uh, Uriah to come in, you know, be with his wife, then these dates are kind of line up just a little bit, right? So Joab sends Uriah home. Verse 8 declares, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and the gift from the king and was was sent after him, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants, and he did not go down to his house. Ten declares, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go? Man, you just came home from Iraq. <laughs> Iraq. Dude, go home to your wife. Look at the faithfulness of Uriah. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. David didn't count on this man's faithfulness. Jesus. So you know the rest of the story. David is going to try one more attempt. Pop, he's going to bring him to the house, throw a party, get him drunk, and send him home. Surely a drunk man will tumble into bed with his wife. In his drunken state, he still slept on the front porch. 14 declares, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Since you won't cooperate, you got to go. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. God, this is Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Somebody shout, wow. Father, we thank you once again. I ask your Lord God to breathe on us. 
Breathe on us today, God. Minister to the hearts and to the minds of your people. Cause our lives to never be the same. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says... So this story in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we want to put it on the shelf just for a moment. We'll come back at the end to visit it. But I want to dive into the direction that we've been in for the past couple of weeks. This series, I've got to, somebody shout, I've got to tell somebody. Has anybody been blessed thus far? Has anybody been challenged, encouraged thus far? So this week is my final week on this particular series. And so there's some concluding thoughts that I just want to share so in the book of John, chapter number 15, verses number 4, I've been studying this, and there was something that jumped out at me that really blessed me. The Bible declares, remain in me. Jesus is challenging his disciples, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit fruit. Everybody shout, God wants me to have a fruitful life. Come on, say it again. Everybody wants me to, God, everybody say, God wants me to have a fruitful life. Tim, I'm good. I'm good, Tim. I believe that God wants you to have a fruitful life. Man, this is so good. Now, I'm getting ready to give you context in just for a moment, but I just wanted to marinate in your soul that God is not against you. God is not trying to drive you down. God is not trying to tear your life apart. No, at the end of the day, God himself desires for you to have a fruitful life. Say it one more time, everybody. God wants me to have a fruitful life. So watch this. The scripture goes on to declare, verse number seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Man, this is so good. God says, I'm glorified when my children are fruitful. Can, can you just see that as a parent? For, as, as a parent, your children thriving in business, thriving in their lives, going on. Are y'all with me in this play? It glorifies me as a natural father to see my children successful. And God says, as your spiritual, as your heavenly father, I am glorified, magnified when you are fruitful. Are y'all with me? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, verse number 16, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go. Somebody shall go. Go and bear fruit. Yeah. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now that is the statement that jumped out at me. So in essence... Whatever I'm asking in alignment with the fruitful life, the Father guarantees that he's going to do it for me. Just, I, I just want to let that just... Whatever I pray for, that's in alignment with the fruitful life. God guarantees I'm going to do it for you. Now, pause here for a second. Does anybody besides me know what it's like to have an unfruitful prayer life? So is there a possibility that I've been asking God for something that's not in agreement with the fruitful? No, no, just think about it just for a second. So that begs what is the context of a fruitful life? Because if God guarantees that I'm going to answer whatever you pray that's in agreement with the fruitful life, I need to understand what is the scriptural context? What is God looking for when he describes fruit? So I want to give you a context to a fruitful life, and there are two characteristics or two ideas um, scripturally that we see 
that, that the Bible consistently talks about fruit in a, in a believer's life metaphorically. The first context is Christian character. Somebody shout character. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their, everybody shout fruit. By their fruit you will recognize them. So he says, in essence, there are folk that talk one thing, but they do another thing. Their character is corrupt. Don't just listen to what they say. Watch what they do, and you will be able to discern that although they have old sheep clothing, come on, somebody, they are inwardly wolves. So when he talks about fruit, he's talking about character. This is good. Matthew 21, 43, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, this is good, who will produce it's fruit. In essence, the kingdom of God is given to folk who produce kingdom-type fruit, the character of the kingdom of God. This is the type of fruit that God is looking for. He's looking for love. He's looking for joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. We know them as the fruit of the spirits. Is anybody in this place? Man, I've been studying on this, and it's actually literally, really, it has challenged my prayer life. It really has it challenged my prayer life because... Um, ooh, I prayed something crazy too. The other day, I prayed something real, real crazy. So I said, God, you mean to tell me that you're honoring fruitfulness, that you're, that you're gonna, that you're gonna answer any prayer that's in line with fruitfulness? And one of the ideas of a fruitful life is inward character. So I said, God, you know what? Everybody who I've been praying for you to change, don't change them, change me. <laughs> I'm going to let that linger right there. I said, everybody who I've been praying that you change, that you touch, don't even change. As a matter of fact, I said something, Charlotte, I said something real crazy. I said, God, leave my irritants in my life so that they can provoke me to be better. Now, I know that's a grown folk prayer because some of y'all are like, Lord, just change them, Lord. Move them out the way. Touch his heart, God. Touch your heart. But in all actuality, some of you all are using people as an excuse for you to walk out of character. In essence, God, if he wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have said it. If she wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have done it. But God is saying, when, you are, when are you going to grow up and mature despite how folk acting? Are you going to remain in good character? So the first idea of a fruitful life is inward character. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to grow. I'm talking about all of us. We gotta, we've got to grow in our, in our character. But there's a second idea that, that, that looks at a points at a fruitful life. And the Apostle Paul, he speaks about it in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 13 in 1 Corinthians 16. He says in Romans 1, 13, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. Look at this that I might have some fruit among you. This is so good. So the first type of fruit that the scripture highlights of a fruitful life is character. But the second one is not inward character. It is Christian converts. He says, Paul says, I've, I've been planning to come among you so that I can have a harvest amongst these believers, these individuals that live in Rome as well. God wants us to have a fruitful life. He, he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, he says, I urge you, brethren, you know uh, the household of Stephanas, that it was the first fruits of Achaia. It, what are first fruits? They were the first people to believe in this region. And he calls them, watch this, fruit. God wants us to have a, oh God, help me, 
He wants us to have a fruitful life. Not just Christian character, but there are people around us. I, I've, been in, I've been in this series on, it really is personal evangelism, but at the end of the day, um, um, I tried to ease into it by talking about testimony. And I think that, that was a, I think that was good because people really don't want to know what he did until you explain what he did in you. Let me talk to my preachers and my reachers in the house just for a moment. Uh, one, one of the things that I believe that really, that God really uses to bless my ministry is the fact that I share a lot of personal testimonies. And please don't get it twisted. I'm not up here just trying to expose myself because there's a whole bunch of times I walk off the platform like, God, I know you didn't put your boy on blast like that. I had no intentions of sharing that. But at the end of the day, if you're going to talk about healthy marriage, show me how God touched your marriage. If you're going to talk about children, tell me, show me what you're doing to be a better parent. If you're going to talk about God blessing finances, tell me how he blessed your finances. If God is going, if he is a healer, tell me how he healed you. So I posed a question to God. Y'all pray for your boy today. Aunt Charlotte, I posed a question. I, told, I asked God, I said, God... How serious are you about this? <laughs> I did, because, I mean, the reality is, Wendy, every series lasts in this house anywhere from four to six weeks. So this is what winds up happening. I, I talk about um, tithing and giving and what happens for about three months. Tithing increases in the house, and then it dwindles back down. <laughs> I talk about reconciliation amongst relationships, and then I see the house begin to jail once again, only for two or three months for it to go back down. I talk about pouring into your children and, and proper ways to raise them up, and, and I, see, I see parents and, and children gelling, and I see family issues starting to be resolved, and it only lasts for a couple of months, so come on, God, you're going to have to help your boy because... Go, statistically in this house, if I'm talking about evangelism, sharing your testimony, we're going to blow it up for three months. And then we'll re be right back to the same place. So I pose the question to God, okay, how serious are you about this? So God started talking to me about what he's getting ready to do in this hour. And I need y'all to hear your boy. Hear your boy. How many of y'all know what it's like to have a burden to pray? To pray. Burden to pray. So, so what a burden of prayer is, in essence, for whatever reason, I feel there's overwhelming reason to pray now. Or I see somebody, or I, I heard something, and for whatever reason, it's like, I feel like, man, I need to talk to God about this right now. God spoke to me, and he said that he's getting ready to start sending not just prayer burdens, but watch this, sharing burdens. What's a sharing burden? You're going to have this overwhelming sensation to share something with somebody else about Jesus. It's going to hit you, I'm telling you. Now, as a parent, we know what that's like. You got children, 
going through challenging situations, life is happening, you find out something, and you feel this overwhelming sensation that I need to talk to my boy, I need to say something to my baby girl, so forth and so on. But this is what God spoke to me. He says, you've been, you've been receiving share burdens about folk that you love, but I want to give you a share burden about folk I love. Folk you don't know, folk you just met, and there will be an overwhelming sensation that I got to say something to them. I overheard something. I, w- I really wasn't eavesdropping. Some of y'all going to be like, look, I promise you, I promise you, I wouldn't listen to y'all conversation. But I, actually, I was. But and I heard you say this, and I just feel led to. And so what I've done for the past couple of weeks, um, I've been ministering very uplifting, encouraging positive messages, and I'm the, the, the response has been overwhelming, not just what you guys have said to me. Matter of fact, it ain't even about what y'all said to me. What I have been seeing you all doing, both in person, social media, it, it really has been blessing me. But I ask God another question. What happens if we resist the burden? No real talk. I know I need to say something. I know I should say something. You know what, God? They ain't going to listen no way. You know how he is. So what happens if I choose to sit on a revelation, a word, a burden, and say say nothing to the person that God has weighed heavily on my heart? I'm getting ready to show you in the text this, this challenged me to the very core. God speaks to his prophet in the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 3, verse 16. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Look at this. I have made you a watchman. Everybody shout, I am a watchman. Shout again, I am a watchman. He says, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. What do you mean a watchman? That means that I am raising you up within your sphere of influence. As a watchman to see folk within your sphere, and as you see things that contradict my plan for their lives, I'm going to want you to say something and not keep quiet. Some of y'all are asking the question, should I say something? My response is, did you see something? (laughs) Ooh, that's so good. I'm going to say it again. Some of y'all are sitting on pause asking the question, should I say something? Here's the answer to the question whether you should say something or not. Did you actually see something? Because if you're just assuming something, maybe you need, to, you need to keep your mouth shut. You need to take that in your prayer closet. Well, I just feel, I just, I'm just, I don't know. It just seemed like, no, 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 no. Did you actually see something both naturally or spiritually? And if you see something, God is challenging you. Somebody shout, I got to say something. So, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word. I speak and give them a warning from me. 18 declares, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. 
Now, let me, let me highlight a commentary thought out of the New American Commentary. The, the writer says, look at this, indifference that fails to save a life is comparable to negligent homicide. The people would be, the prophet, excuse me, would be guilty of murder by his failure to fulfill his calling according to the law of retribution. He was liable for the loss of a life payable by the forfeit of his own. My God, today, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm. 19 declares, but if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness and from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved your life. The, the, the writer in the New, New, Com New American Commentary, he goes on to declare, the responsibility for the message was then upon the wicked person who was warned. This is what I want to do just for a second. I want to rebuke false guilt. False guilt. What, what do you mean false guilt? That means that you saw something. God revealed something to you, and you shared your heart, and the individual chose not to listen. They went their own way, and they wrecked the ship seriously. And now the devil got you feeling guilty, asking yourself the question, what, Lord, what could I have done more? Lord, I don't know what else I could have done. Some of y'all experience them right now, false guilt as a parent. As a grandparent, I want to help somebody in this play because you did what you were supposed to do. Were you perfect? No. But were you consistent? Absolutely. Everything that I saw, I said it, and they did it anyway. So I'm not going to spend the rest of my life beating myself up based on what somebody else just decided to do despite my warning. Now, let me take it to the opposite extreme. That doesn't mean that we give up on people because even when folk, watch this, even when folk disobey God, that doesn't mean God is done with them. And God might burden you again in a different form or in a different fashion to minister to them. But if you give up on them because they didn't listen, some of y'all actually think y'all love folk more than God does. Some of y'all actually think you love your children more than God does. Lord, I'm telling them, I'm telling them, I'm telling them. And if they ain't going to listen, I'm just done with them. And God ain't done with them. How you finish with them? Watch this, watch this. Thank you, Jesus. Verse number 20. Again, when a righteous person, now, he just talked about a wicked person, a perverse person doing an ungodly thing. But what, what happens when a righteous person turns? Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before, block before them, they will die since you did not warn them. They will die for their sin. The righteous thing that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Again, situation where I see something and God is challenging me to say something, and for whatever reason, I don't. 21, this is good. Somebody shout, this is good. Some of y'all are like, I don't know yet. It's good. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, watch this, they will surely live because they took warning, and watch what happens, and you will have saved yourself. So in a sharing burden, when you are obedient as well as disobedient, the law of harvest is in effect. 
So if I see your baby doing something and I, for whatever reason, decide not to say nothing, be not deceived, for God is not mocked whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. Because I could have spared some difficulties in your child's life. I just opened myself up to receive some trouble in my own children's lives. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. Oh, God. See, see, see some, some of y'all, I, I've, I've, been ministering, I've been ministering from a very uplifting, very, very positive, and, and that's great. But, but watch this. I heard this preacher say this a couple of years ago. He says, he says, he was talking about parenting and discipline and all this kind of stuff. He said, he says, as parents, as parents, we, we, should, we should approach uh, discipline from a point of reverence. We, we, we do what our Father says because we reverence them, not because we're afraid of them. Well, I beg to differ. Let me tell you something. I reverence this old man, but I, I was show scared of him. <laughs> I was scared. I honored him as my dad, but watch this. I knew he was kind of crazy too, you understand? So there should be some reverence when it comes to God, but I'm telling you by the same token, there should be a fear as well because God is serious about his message getting out to the world. Can somebody say amen to that? So he puts the law of harvest in your sharing. If I, oh my God, if, if, I, show, if I show you somebody else that's going through a situation and you can minister a word to save them and you choose not to, that bad boy get ready to rebound into your life. Now somebody shout, I got to tell it. I bet you do. I bet you do. Thank you, Jesus. Man, let's dive a little bit deeper. I just want to take you through a couple of scenarios of people who chose not to spread the word or not to spread God's agenda. And the book of Jonah, familiar passage, but I want to highlight something that, 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 that blessed me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So these people are doing wicked. I'm sending my prophet to minister to them because if he, if he ministers to them properly, he can save their lives. He can spare the city. But the Bible declares, but Jonah did what, y'all? Jonah did what, y'all? Instead of going to do what God declared for him to do, the Bible declares he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, the complete opposite direction. Now, I can see verse 4 transpiring in Jonah's life because when you disobey, when you run away from God, how many know trouble going to follow you? <laughs> The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I can understand verse number four. I'm tripping about verse number five. Because this is what our obedience blinds us to. That when God sends a whirlwind after you, whirlwind gonna touch anything you connected to. And I'm telling you right now, if you're running from God, stay away from me. Say, hey, Pastor McGill, I just want you to know, man, I'm, I'm running from God. Ah! Watch this, watch this. Give me that bump, Pop. Give me that bump. Just hold it right there. 
Just hold it, just hold it. Bump, bump, fun, fun. Just hold it right there. If God strikes me, guess who else gets struck? If God strikes fun, guess who else gets struck? Pop. Ah! <laughs> You're crazy. My brother, I ain't tripping that God sends a storm after Jonah. I'm tripping about the fact. I wonder whose spouse is suffering because of a disobedient. I wonder whose children are suffering because of a disobedient. I wonder whose church is suffering because of a... You think you running just affecting you. When the devil knows if I can get you on the run, not only do God get... Oh, God, help me in this place. Not only does the harvest of your disobedience come after you, but everything that you connected... Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, how much do you love me? No, no, real, real, real talk, real talk, real talk. Ask, ask somebody else. Look behind you and look in front of you and ask them the question. <laughs> my God, today, years ago, years ago, my wife and I, we were asked to do a funeral. It was, I don't know how long ago it was, but what happened, it, it was this, um, this, this gang war that was happening um, in Naga for it. <laughs> in my hood, right? And um, so these, these fellas gunned these guys down, and um, uh, the family retaliated, and they asked me to do the funeral. And so, Aunt Charlotte, it's crazy, man, because for like four or five nights straight, I kept having a dream that they were going to come into the church and just start shooting. And I'm, I'm having these dreams, and I'm rebuking, I'm rebuking it. And, um, <laughs> and so... Uh, we headed to the funeral, me and the wife, we headed and we driving, and, sh and she said, honey, I'm going to be honest with you. i just been having these dreams. What kind of dreams? Hold on, what kind of dreams you have? They're they going to come into the church and just start, oh, I told her we ain't got to do this funeral. They can look. <laughs> I can, look, I can call them. Hey, hold that flower. Drop it, ashes to ashes. Hold another one. Dust to dust. <laughs> Let's go. Boy, I ain't never been so. I, I, was, I was acting bougie that day. I, can't, it was, I think it was Deacon John. I can't remember who else was there. But I was like, listen, <coughs> keep an eye on my wife. <laughs> I'm going in the back, and I ain't coming out till it's time to preach. Y'all know Deacon John again. Yes, sir, pastor. <laughs> Why did fear grip my heart? Because when a fool got hate in his heart, and they after somebody, they don't care who they get coming after you. Man, I'm going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> Would you be that heartless to continue to impact the folk around you that you say you love? Because you reaping the harvest of your disobedience and your disobedience is affecting your. Say it again, Greg. Will you be that heartless? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to get this together. Go ahead and tell them, I got to tell somebody. Bet you do. <laughs> Let's dive a little bit deeper. 
Again, this wasn't necessarily a foundational text. I just wanted to extrapolate some thoughts out of here. Just, just one idea. 2 Samuel, chapter number 11, verse number 1. In the springtime, at the time of evangelism, because the people of God, the children of Israel, it was about territory, land. For us, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Guess what it's still about? Territory. So naturally, the way they expanded the kingdom is, watch this, driving out the enemies of God and, watch this, expanding righteous rule over the land. King was supposed to be evangelizing, but he got to a place of comfort. And he stayed home and got set up for one of his biggest moral failures. I wonder, is some of the craziness that you might be entertaining tied up to the fact that you're supposed to be out with the other kings doing war? You just say, well, you're supposed to be. David, you're supposed to be out there in the field, not at the house chilling. Because you're out, because you're at the house, now where you're supposed to be. Now you open yourself up to something crazy. Chapter number 11 wouldn't be in the history books today if David was out evangelizing. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, who are you supposed to reach this week? No, real talk, real talk. Because if you're supposed to read somebody, this, ooh, I mean, real, real talk, real talk. What's the juxtaposition of me evangelizing? If I choose not to do what God says do, what, what else? <laughs> My dad says this quote all the time, and he, he, he says so much, I start saying the Bible says. <laughs> Y'all heard the saying, um, idle mind is a devil's workshop? That ain't nowhere in the Bible. It ain't no scripture nowhere. I mean, you can find it in context. You know what I'm saying? You can put it together. But he said so, so, so much, I, I got up in pulpit one time. I said, the Bible declares. <sighs> that I don't mind is the devil's work. Pop pull me to say, hey, my son, that ain't. Uh, <laughs> that one right there, that ain't in the scripture. <laughs> but it sure sounded good, though. You know what I'm saying? Hey, watch this. Yeah, when the blessings, when the praises go up. Bible declares, right? That's another one. But it's a true saying. I don't mind. Devil's workshop. I believe that. When you're not about God's, I, I believe Paul put it like something like this, that he was just juxtaposing a carnal mind and a spiritual mind. If you're not spiritually minded, by default, you, you carnally self-minded. So if there's somebody God intends for you to reach this week and you choose not to spend that time ministering, encouraging, strengthening, the question is, what you going to spend that time doing? Let me say it another way. If you're not going to spend that time working for God, who are you going to be working for during that time? If you plan on not serving God this week, who are you going to serve? And if serving God reaps righteous fruit, what's serving something else or yourself going? Chat, chapter number 11 would not exist if my man was out evangelizing. 
We got a bunch of mess in the church. We got a bunch of mess in the church. The reason we got a bunch of mess in the church is because we have a bunch of folk that are not about their father's business. The responsibility of sharing is not just on the pastor. I should preach. I should teach. I should evangelize. I should testify. I should witness. I should, I should, I should witness to my waiter. <laughs> I should encourage my waiter. I should pray for my waiter. So real, real talk. But you think I should just be doing that? I think the scripture says something like, go ye into the world. Everybody. Those that, are belie- those that believe it shall be baptized and in my name they should do all these wonderful things. That command is for everybody, not just leaders. Somebody shout, I got to tell somebody. Got to tell somebody. <sighs> Am I done? Am I done? Let me see. Yeah, we finished. Watch this. This is what God showed me. I have to just give y'all what he gave me, okay? What you doing, Chad? Why you walking up there like that? <laughs> you good? All right. Sit down, man. You supposed to be sitting down anyway. Sit down. Go sit down. Thank you. Let's bless the Lord for my brother. Man, you know what? I thank God for faithfulness. Do y'all see him limping, trying to be faithful? Man, sit down, man. <laughs> I love you, man. Come here, sir. This is what God showed me. Right? Give me your hand. Right? You got COVID? Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, old man. Ooh, I want to run right now. Thank you, Jesus. I want to run. I feel good in my sanctified soul. Real good. Okay. So it's our responsibility to share. Share our testimony. Share the goodness of God. Share the level of revelation that God has given us. Somebody shout, that's our responsibility. It's like all of ours. And so what God says, he's going to start doing. I'm going to start in this hour. I'm telling you, hear, hear my words. This hour, you're getting ready to experience a share burden. So, so it, it ain't going to be like, should, should, I, should I say something? Oh, you're you going to feel it. You're going to know you need to say something. It's going to be... It's going to be an overwhelming sensation. You're going to know it. It's going to start out heavy, but it's not going to last heavy. Why is it going to start out heavy? Because God is reprogramming your mind to start sharing, looking for opportunities. As time goes on, the burden is going to become lighter. But during the time of heaviness, God is training you to look for opportunities, look for key words, look for phrases that people are going to say. So as you go on, God don't have to say, my daughter. You walk in Walmart and you, mm, I think I need to say something to her. Excuse me, ma'am, do you have a moment? Just, just for a moment. It's going to happen like that. So this is what God is challenging us to do. Oh, my God. Real soft, Tim. I often wondered, Brother Shugart, why God used certain people in my life. And then it's like they were gone. And then he'll put somebody else in my life. I was wondering, what's up with that? I used to wonder. And then, not only me, <laughs> transparent, why he would bring somebody into the ministry. And it wasn't a rift. It wasn't nothing. They literally had to go somewhere else. 
Like I, I, I just felt that it, their signal really was up. They was, I'm like, what's up with that? And God just showed me this. God told me, watch this, that you can only take people as far as you are. That's it. You can only take people as far as you are. And you can have a heart to want to push them further. But watch this. Go ahead and try to go. I know you're strong. Just don't drag me. Just try to. <laughs> this is a bad example. <laughs> just, just, just try to go lightly, sir. You can try to push them, but the reality is they can only go as far as you can take them. So, if I want to take them further, and if I grow here, I can go back. And I can bring them here. So here's the question. Come on, let's go back. Let's go. Here's the question. Here's the question. I just need to talk to the saints just for a second. If you could right now transpose your peace on somebody else, is it really peaceful enough? At this moment right now, if you could take your joy and give it to somebody else, is it joyful enough? <laughs> Let me take it deeper. If you could take your, what you got with God right now and give it away, is your relationship deep enough? Or are you just bringing them, yes, into water, but just shallow water, just enough to make them thirsty for God to have to send them to somebody else? Thank you, sir. God says, Paul, I want to send Timothy with you for the rest of your life. I don't want to have to send Timothy to Peter, to Thomas, to James, John. Paul, I want Titus to walk with you for the rest of your life. That's why Paul says, follow me as I. That means we got to keep growing. We got to keep growing. We got to keep growing. Got to keep growing. Got to keep moving. Got to keep seeking. Got to keep pressing. Can't be satisfied with the level of peace I have. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Pop. I feel good, man. You hear me? I feel good. I'm in a good place with God right now. But you know what? I can't get, if I stay here, this good place is going to become stale water in a couple of days. So I got to keep pushing. I got to keep pressing. I got to keep growing. I got to keep reading. I got to keep praying. I got to keep fasting. I got to keep studying. I got to keep fellowshipping. I, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to keep growing. Got to keep growing. God wants you in a place 
Well, you can rightfully say, my God, I'm telling you, if you can feel, I, I, I feel bold enough to say it right now. If you felt what I feel right now, and I ain't saying you don't, but I'm telling you, if you, if you feel what I feel right now, you feel real good. I'm telling you, if you got the peace I got right now, you got some real peace right now. If you got the joy I got right now. So I'm at a place in my life, I'm at a place in my ministry where God is saying, stop just teaching and start bringing people into it. <laughs> Don't just teach them. Don't just teach them. Don't just point them. Ah, guide them into the place. Let me tell you something that I just did. Woo. Oh, man. My life, my, my relationship with God recently just went to a whole nother level. Let me tell you why it went to a whole nother level. I didn't even know I was doing this. I didn't even know in my prayer life I was giving God ultimatums. I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know as a servant I was trying to control the Lord. Lord, you, uh, you're going to have to do this. Because, Lord, if you don't do this, mm -mm, I ain't, mm -mm, no, no, I ain't putting up with that. I ain't, I ain't putting up with that right there. <laughs> I didn't know I was threatening God like that. I just recently got to a place. Hmm. Because this is what our next series is going to be on, spiritual wholeness. Spiritual wholeness. Here's the question. What do you need besides Jesus to be complete? Because some of y'all like, if I get Jesus and a million, Jesus and marriage, Jesus and a car, Jesus and a new house, then I'll finally be Jesus and a child, then I'll finally be. Jesus and a new job, then I'll finally be. Why you have to finally be with Jesus and? Why can't you just be with? So I made a decision recently. I said, God, at this moment, you don't have to change nothing in my life. Nothing nothing externally has to change in my environment. I'm going to receive the joy of the Lord where I am right now. I'm going to receive the peace of the Lord where I am right now. I'm going to be content with Jesus alone where I am right now. I went so far, chat, to go back and I retracted all the stuff that I prayed to happen in order for me to finally be content. God, this, that, the other, you ain't got to do none of that ever. I'm still going to be okay just with you. I prayed it, but I meant it. And you know what? God, honor my prayers. He ain't changed nothing. <laughs> you know what he did change, though? Greg McGee. changed me. He changed me. He changed me. It's amazing what you don't have to worry about when you don't worry about it no more. It's amazing how much peace you got. When you really do get, because some of y'all been like, I'm just going to get this to the Lord. But you keep picking it back up. 
Real talk, you give it to Jesus, but you go back on that altar before you get up and pick it up. Come on. God, I give it to you. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, I give it back. Because <laughs> I got to worry about this a little bit more. I just wonder what would happen if you really gave it all to God. Just wonder. So to conclude this idea of evangelism, you can only take a person because true witnessing, true sharing, true evangelism, it's really a transfer, a spiritual transfer. It's more than just words, but literally you are bringing people to a place where you currently are. God says if you bring them now, they won't be far enough. But if you keep pressing, keep believing, keep talking, keep fasting, keep consecrating yourself, you will be amazed. Watch this. How big I use little old you. <laughs>